beauty and skincare is always a hot topic around here, and today I want to tell you about a new product line I've discovered that I think you will like, Exponent Beauty. Listeners of the show will receive 20% off their purchase. More details on that in a minute. Exponent Beauty is a skincare brand with a line of activated anti-aging serums that are clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles. The beauty of Exponent Beauty is their innovative form factor. The powders are activated with a quadruple hyaluronic acid serum in their patented precision-dosed dispenser. The packaging is gorgeous, and the dispenser itself is refillable, so it has also reduced plastic waste. Exponent Beauty's line of serums can be found in med spas and spas and dermatologists' office around the country. The line is dermatologist-recommended and clinically proven to reduce those fine lines and wrinkles, and to increase brightness and radiance, and to firm skin without irritation. No more expired or underutilized products with Exponent Beauty, just high-quality skincare with ingredients that work. Go to ExponentBeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's Exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, Beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y.com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two zero for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. And you have 10 things to tell. This show is about connection with each other and with ourselves. And the hope is that the things we talk about here will be fuel for better conversations and a personal awareness. This is an interactive podcast. Each episode has a prompt and a topic that I want you to take to your journal, text to your best friend, or answer on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. Welcome to this episode of the 10 things to tell you podcast. Today's show is one that I've been wanting to share with you for a long time for a few reasons. I'm going to talk today with my dear friend, Julie Stilwell. She's one of the mom friends I've talked about before that came into my life when our daughters met in the first grade. And her friendship, along with a group of other mom friends from school, has just been invaluable to me in terms of feeling like I belong in a community and in a group of women. It has really changed my experience of living in Los Angeles. But that is not what this episode is about. The reason I wanted to sit down and talk to Julie is because in 2018, Julie and her husband, Tom, found themselves at a personal crossroads in their life. They'd slowly outgrown their home that they'd had since their daughters were born. And after years and years of working so hard for so many hours, Tom sold his business. So they took this pretty remarkable opportunity and they moved their family abroad for a year to Amsterdam, not for a business reason, but just for a life experience reason. And as I watched them do this, saying goodbye to my dear friends, not totally sure if they were really going to come back to the United States or not, I was just in awe at their ability to do this huge 
thing that may be a dream for a lot of people. It seems like one of those things that you say, you know, if it ever happened to work out, I would love to do something like this, but then you just never really make it happen. I know I have these dreams that are fun to think about, but it's hard to imagine actually happening. So I wanted to talk to Julie about her experience with this, the logistics of it, the emotions of it, what they learned, why they came home. There are way more than 10 things to talk about in terms of moving your family to Europe for a year. But after we had the conversation and when I was editing it, I was struck by another reason that I am so glad we sat down to talk this through. Because even though Julie is a very close friend, we've traveled together multiple times. Our family went to visit their family last summer at the end of their time in Amsterdam. Even still, there was so much that I didn't know about their adventure. So much that I hadn't thought to ask, or we just hadn't made the time to sit down and really focus on this topic. And it made me think of so many other friends and family where this dynamic is similar. I mean, often we get the gist of what's going on with other people. We get the main points. We fill in the bits and pieces or we hear details here and there. But it made me want to sit down with people. And instead of having a back and forth conversation, I really want them to tell me about what they're going through or what they learned or anything like that. When there are big events like this, moving your family across the world, I just wish I had asked so many more questions because as you'll see listening here, there are many layers and angles and nuggets of goodness in what we talk about. If you don't have a friend or family member who has some big experience like this to share, I still think that this topic is a fun conversation starter. It made me think about where I would want to move if I had one year like this. It made me think about how my kids would adapt and what bigger world lessons we are or are not teaching them in our home. It really just gave me a lot to think about in terms of dreams with my family and how we want to live out the next seven or eight years under this same roof together. Lastly, Julie and I are both fully aware that this was an incredible privilege to have the time and the finances and the resources to have this family adventure. We know this isn't feasible for the average family. We're not flippant about that. There is so much food for thought in our conversation, and I just loved having this conversation with a friend. It made me want to know even more about this special year away. I wish I had asked her all of these questions sooner. I hope you enjoy this talk with my friend Julie about living abroad with her family for one year. Let's start back at just the very, very beginning of, you know, taking a whole family, you have two girls, taking them to live abroad is not an easy decision. You know, we're not like 21 anymore where you can just be like, yay, let's go have an adventure. It's so much more complicated than that. So if you could just give us a little bit of background of like what was happening in your life and in your family's life that took you to a point of saying to your husband that this was even a possibility, or maybe he said it to you, like, I don't know how you guys came to the decision in the first place, or even the thought process before the decision. So if you could like, just give us a little bit of that, I want to hear it. Well, I would say at 21 was probably when the seed was planted that either of us would ever want to have time abroad, living abroad, right? But at 21, you kind of don't have the means yet, and you need to establish yourself at home and 
So fast forward 20 some years and the idea popped up again when um, Tom, my husband, was able to sell his company and decided to take a break. You know, he was doing some consulting, but as far as feeling like we needed to be rooted in one location, that was no longer the thing for us. And so this was our chance and our opportunity to be able to pick up and kind of move anywhere. So so let me back up because it started with, it was time for us to move. We have a sweet house that was perfect for when our girls were growing up, but... We needed more space because Tom was going to be working more from home, consulting and doing that kind of thing. So he needed an office. And so we spent about an, like maybe a year and a half looking for a place to move into, like a, a house with a little more space. Which, by the way, in Los Angeles is a whole thing. Like the real estate thing is a whole, it's a whole thing. thing. I mean, that's why a year and a half. I mean, honestly, it was probably two years of looking a year, maybe casually a year, really intensely looking. And we finally found a house that we thought this could be it actually right not too far from here, <laughs> which would have been amazing. This is a sad part of the story um, for me. Right. So we were so excited. We found a house. We were finally loving and we put in an offer and I, for there was some glitch in our, our banking, and it took a little bit longer to get our loan approved on the bank's behalf, not on ours, thankfully. But then in those few days, we talked about it a little bit more, and we thought, what are we doing? We are digging in some deeper roots when we have a chance to set ourselves free for a year. We gave ourselves a year. And then come back and and dig in. And how old were your girls? Then they were... Nine and 11. Nine and 11. The four of us are born and raised in LA. So just the thought of moving somewhere different seemed exciting. I mean, really scary, but at the same time, just new and different. And like, why don't we? We can. Why don't we? But I think it felt risky. And... We weren't sure why, why should we change things up so much when life is so good. Life literally was so good. There was nothing, you know, Tom was taking a little break from work with the exception of consulting here and there, but compared to his hours and everything before, it was so different. And the kids love their school and we have our friends and family here. Why are we rocking the boat? Okay, but why were you? It's funny because I think we felt a little too comfortable if that makes sense. It doesn't. It was time to burst the bubble a little bit. And the kids knew no different. It didn't worry us, but we found this to be an opportunity, like a chance to maybe not burst it so much, but expand it Mm. and plant a seed and get a little uncomfortable. Our kids have never experienced discomfort. They lived in the same house their entire lives and go to an amazing school and have beautiful friends and we live around our family and they've never experienced anything truly uncomfortable and why not do it when we can provide them with the safety of being together and doing this you know experiencing this new thing together okay so 
over wine on a date night. <laughs> so <laughs> you decide to change your whole entire life. So when we talked about it that night, when we mentioned this possibility of moving abroad, both of us got so excited over it. Now, no matter what, when you move, it's really stressful anyway, right? There are a lot of changes and and you, you need to go through the entire process of packing up and of unpacking and now buying new furniture and all of, and just acclimating to a new neighborhood in this case. I mean, it's, it's not far from where we currently were, but all of it's different and stressful. So we thought moving abroad, <laughs> same, same. Like, okay, like, okay. Can I just same. interject and say, <laughs> you lived in the valley. You were going to come over to my side of the hill. Yes. Tis not the same as moving to Amsterdam. No. I don't know. <laughs> but, but that much more exciting for us. Like, we knew moving was going to be stressful. So we knew moving abroad would be stressful, but it added this element of, like, excitement and a change that we were both ready for. And we were ready to give to our kids. I do remember you telling me at the time, like, something about, you know, you and I both, you know, talk in our friendship offline about, like, the sort of energy around something or whatever. And I do remember that you saying when you guys talked about moving abroad, it was like the energy changed, like you both got excited as opposed to when you're talking about moving across the city, which you did want to do, but it was also sort of a drudgery in a way of like, ugh, we need a new house, but like, this is just a means to an end kind of thing. And then when the Europe was introduced, you were both like excited and that made a difference. 100%. Our adrenaline was pumping. Yeah. It was just really then something to truly look forward to. It it didn't feel like a chore. It felt like, I don't want to say a new beginning, but another beginning. Just an opportunity for... That's a testament to you and Tom, or just where people are in their life maybe, because if Jeff said to me, let's move overseas, I would maybe lay down on the floor and cry. Not because I don't love Europe, I do, but I just, it seems overwhelming to me, whereas you're describing it as invigorating. It is, but you know, you had that when you moved from Oklahoma. You had that moment. It's true. I lived in one, I grew up in one city. I went to college in one city. I moved across the country. Like I've had these things in my life and you and Tom were both raised here. You both went to college here. Yeah. We went to UCLA and that's where we met and then we moved right on back. So it didn't, it it never felt like we experienced that sort of uprooting and changing and experiencing something new. And so this was our chance. Like this was it for us. So why Amsterdam? I think we knew sort of immediately Europe was the place that we wanted to move. I think because we've both traveled enough there to know a little bit about it with a lot more to learn, but enough to know that it sort of fit what we wanted, which was different cultural experiences and art and history. So Europe was it. We weren't thinking South America. We, I think, played around with the idea of Asia, but I think that would have, because we really only committed to doing this for a year, that would have been such a shock to everyone's system 
that a year wouldn't do it justice. We would have been, I think we would have just known we would have been miserable for a year and then come back home and that wouldn't have served its purpose. Even though, let me ask, because maybe the listener is unaware, but you are Vietnamese. Vietnamese. And did your mom grow up in Vietnam? Yes. So my mom grew up in Vietnam and she moved uh, to America when she was 18. So was that not, I mean, I hear what you're saying, like moving to a country with a whole different language and a whole different culture is quite different than moving to Europe. Right. Especially just for a year. But did that enter your mind at all? Like just culturally for you or like? It did a little bit, but I think for what we wanted in a year's time, it wouldn't have been the right move for us. And it's funny that you say that because Vietnam didn't even enter our minds. And I think it's because I don't speak the language. Mm. And I mean, I understand it, but I don't speak it, which I wish I did. There's something about the European culture that just resonates with our family. Food, family, sitting in cafes (laughs) for hours at a time. It just sounded like something we wanted in our lives. But again, why Amsterdam? And so then Amsterdam, well, it's funny because when we talked about it with friends, very randomly, three different friends, you know, when we talked about moving abroad, three different friends said, you should consider Amsterdam. Either they knew someone or they've been there and they just saw how beautiful it was randomly. No, it's, that's not random, Julie. Like, I think that is a sign. Like, I believe in that so much when different nudges are nudging you in the same yeah. direction. I didn't think about that, but you're right. You have to pay attention to that. You're right. That's like messages of pay attention, leading pay us. attention, yeah, leading I you. Do. Yes. You're right. I, I should, you're right. That is absolutely what happened. Because we just sort of mentioned the idea of moving abroad with our family. And the first person who said it, when he said Amsterdam, my ear perked up so quickly, it felt right. Do you know what I mean? Like people mentioned other things like, oh, Costa Rica or (laughs) Australia. There was all these places. And then the moment that Amsterdam came up, it was like something in my heart. It just felt right. And, and in the end, I do. I feel like that was absolutely the right place for us to land. So once we heard Amsterdam a few times, we started doing research. Because I think the other idea was Southern Europe, right? We love Italy. We love Spain. What we learned about Amsterdam, though, as we started doing more research, is that it's logistically a very organized country. And the reasons why you love visiting Italy or Spain is this sort of very uh, loose attitude about life and it's just very romantic those were the things that were going to drive us crazy trying to move there you know school and figuring out schools and figuring out our paperwork it just wasn't going to work everyone was like just move there first and then figure it out but if you know Tom he does not function that way (laughs) he needs things to be completely in line and in order before we go anywhere so, so anyway, going back to Amsterdam, um, you know, it's a very safe country. It's very family friendly, super welcoming. Their medical care and their education is amazing and for next to nothing. I mean, we ended up sending our girls to private school there, the international school. So that, that you know, we, that that's basically what we paid for. But everything else in that country is dialed in. 
and ready and welcoming to expats all around the world. And so, as and the other thing is they speak English. Mm-hmm. And so we knew if we were going to go away for a year, it would be nice to be able to communicate. Yeah. In that short time. So very quickly, we decided on Amsterdam and... Uh, we also knew that it's a very modern thinking, very open-minded place to live, and it's really rich with art and culture, but yet it's still very charming. It's got like a very old-school mentality and way of thinking and just sort of being back to basics, and everything lined up for us, and it felt right to move there. Mm-hmm. It's not every day that you find a product that you truly love and want to shout about from the rooftops. Well, friends, I have found something that I am genuinely excited to share with you today, and that is Born Shoes. Born Shoes are made with the best top quality leather with functional stitching and flexibility. They are lightweight, but they're also supportive. They are great for all casual occasions, extremely comfortable, and especially good for travel. The brand recently gifted me a pair of the Ithaca style sandals. Of course, they are beautiful. The footbed has extra foam for added comfort and with a slight heel for lift. I am positive that I could walk all over London in this pair of shoes, just like I did in my Born Sandals last summer. Born Shoes offers sandals, flats, boots, and heels in several styles and color choices. Take comfort in Born Shoes. Every season, they make high-quality shoes that feel as good as they look. With artistic touches, unparalleled craftsmanship, and exquisite materials, Born designs shoes to satisfy the demands of every lifestyle. Go to bornshoes.com for a 15% discount plus free ground shipping on all full-price shoes when you use my promo code TELL. That's born, B-O-R-N, shoes, S-H-O-E-S, dot com, and use promo code TELL, T-E-L-L, for 15% off and free shipping, available exclusively to our listeners for a limited time. Y'all know that I love to play games on my phone to unwind, and I am always looking for a new one to download. And I recently ran across Two Dots, and I want to tell you about it. Two Dots is a free-to-download, puzzle-based game that involves connecting dots through relaxing puzzles while unlocking levels and collecting prizes along the way. There are different gameplay modes to make the experience unique and exciting with every single puzzle. There are over five thousand distinct puzzles with various power-ups and special dots ready to earn as you move through the levels. The in-app music and visually stimulating interface provide a soothing experience when you just want to relax and unwind. Not only is Two Dots free to download, but it can also be played without internet connection. So playing on the go offline is a breeze. And if you don't want to play alone, you can challenge your friends on Facebook as well as connect with the larger Two Dots community for even more engagement. If you're looking for the perfect game to help you relax but also keep you engaged, download Two Dots for free on Android and iOS. Had so many misses with it, which can really add up if you're buying a new bottle of perfume just to try it out. But with Scentbird, you can have great taste and mix up your fragrance routine without breaking the bank. Whether it's Tom Ford or Gucci or Versace, Scentbird.com keeps you smelling good month after month. Scentbird is a luxury fragrance subscription service for perfumes and colognes. It has more than 600 designer brands for you to choose a perfume from each month. So you choose the perfume you want, they'll send you a 30-day supply. 
you're not sure what type of scent you're looking for, you can sort and find your new fragrance by brand or by style, occasion. Scentbird let me try their service, and I can see why this would be the perfect way to try new scents if you like to smell different for different occasions, or the perfect way to try out a bunch of scents for a full month, not just a tiny sample, in order to land on your signature scent. Scentbird has an exclusive offer just for our listeners. You can get 30% off your first month today. That's only $10 for your first fragrance. Go to scentbird.com slash you, that's Y-O-U, use my promo code you for 30% off your first month. Again, that's scentbird, S-C-E-N-T, bird.com slash you to sign up and use my promo code you to try your first perfume or cologne for just $10. Sign on, smell amazing. Now back to my conversation with Julie. Okay, so once you decide Amsterdam, well, then what? Then, well, that's one of the things I have to tell you about. (laughs) Okay, you have 10 things. You have 10 (laughs) things you want to tell us about this move and about this experience, right? At least, but yes. I mean, there's so many more than 10. There's so many things I could share. Then let's just start with number one. Like, if you had 10 things to tell me. I mean, you do. You're telling me 10 things. Mm -hmm. What's the first thing that you would say about this? The decision is made. It's happening. Now what? So now we had to cut a lot of things loose in LA. Imagine 41, 42, 43 years living in Los Angeles, having a house. We're very established and rooted. So I would say the first thing was sort of this exercise of letting go, of selling our house, of getting rid of more than half of our things. That was a hard thing for our girls to understand. They did not want to get rid of our house. That is the house that they were both born in and raised in and is the only house that they know. And trying to have that conversation with them about we can thank a house or whatever it is we have for giving us what it's given us and now it's time to move on. That is a very hard concept for, well, it was a hard concept for our girls to understand. I think they understand it better now. But we were ready for a change. And so selling our house, getting rid of a lot of our things, getting rid of a lot of their things, because we knew that coming back in a year, they would have outgrown it, or we would be ready for something new, like our couch, our dining room table. I mean, we literally got rid of so many things. But you you put some stuff in storage. And we put some things in storage. But mostly you got rid of stuff. Mostly we got rid of things. Because I think we knew that when we came back, we were ready for new. Kids don't like new. Kids like what they know. Mm -hmm. And so that was a hard thing for them. What about telling friends? So that was interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm thinking about how... I received this news. That's an interesting thought. So some friends we told maybe cried. (laughs) You cried or the friends cried? The friends cried. Well, listen, we knew. We had already been able to process, so we knew we were doing this. And by the way, as the leavers, like we're, it's something exciting for us. So we weren't sad by our decision. We knew what we were going into and that we would be back. And... uh, So we weren't sad about it. We were excited. I think maybe we were sad about the things we would miss over the course of a year. But 
overall, we were more excited than sad. But also we had, Tom and I had each other to talk about it with and to process it before we were sharing it with others. We knew for about a month and a half before we actually even shared it with our kids. And I will tell you, when we shared it with our kids, one just straight cried for an hour and a half. Oh, sweet girl. And told us we were ruining her life. (laughs) And basically screamed at us about the gazillion things she would be missing by leaving for a year and how could we do this to her it was devastating I mean was that hard on you as a mom or was absolutely are you kidding I was crying Tom had to leave to go to a meeting at that moment like maybe 20 minutes after we told them he left and I was stuck with this crying child oh my goodness her heart was completely broken And Tom left for a meeting and he called me on his way home from that meeting and was like, are we making the wrong decision? What are we doing? Maybe we shouldn't do this. We both immediately had our doubts because we thought, what are we doing? We are rocking this beautiful boat that we have. And to see your child cry and react in such an intense way was hard. What did the other child do? And our other child, who is the older one and very pragmatic and very logical, was stunned. She was shocked and looked at us and said, well, is our dog coming? (laughs) Oh. And then she asked, do we have a house? So she just wants to know that we have somewhere to live and that our dog will be coming. (laughs) And from there, she was able to take that information And sit with it for a moment. And then after that, she processed what life might be like there by looking at the website of the school that they would be going to. And she's just a lot more logical about life in general. So she didn't respond in the most emotional way. (laughs) But she needed to know that we would be okay. Mm -hmm. That we had a place to live, that they had a school to go to, and that our dog was coming. And then she, and then, then she could she think about it. Could slowly, yes, process it quietly. Cool. So wait, okay. So are we on number two yet? So number two is the idea of moving abroad is very different from the reality of moving abroad. And I think what I mean by that is it's very easy to romanticize and to have these sort of grandeur expectations of what living abroad is going to look like for me. Anyway, that's how I felt. I had very I guess, high expectations of what living in Europe was going to be like. And not to say it never got like that, but, you know, when you say, okay, we're, like I said earlier, we're so excited to move abroad. It, it, it made our heart beat faster at the thought of it. But from the moment we decided that, it was six months. We decided in December, and by January we started planning. We moved in June, and... It was six months of serious planning and preparing and purging of our things and selling of our home and getting all the paperwork ready over there. And, you know, we didn't move with the company. So we're literally doing this entire move on our own, which I'm not complaining about because we absolutely chose to do this. But it's hard work. And in the end, it can be a little bit expensive and or a lot expensive. (laughs) And... The logistics of moving in general are hard, but moving overseas is way complicated. How do you know what to do? Like, you know, visas and applying for schools and all of that. Like, do you have help? Do you reach out to a 
you know, friends of friends of friends? Like, how do you even know what to do? All of it. We did all of that. You have the internet to just sort of have a baseline. Mm. But then we did start talking to people who knew people. And we started having conversations and email conversations, Skype conversations with friends of friends, like you said, who live there now and moved from the States and what that looked like and what we would need to do to prepare for that. But to be honest, a lot of people move there because of a job. And so they move with the company. And so the paperwork part, the visas and and the residency and all of that gets handled through a company. We didn't have that. And so what we ended up finding was a, oh gosh, what's the word? Is it like a service? Yes. So like a person we had a, well, her name was Audrey. <laughs> Helpful. <laughs> is she like a concierge? She is a transitional sort of moving consultant. That is the incorrect term for it. I think mainly she helps Americans move over, but like expats move over and establish their lives. So she's connected to lawyers and... She's like a travel agent, but a moving agent. Exactly. Okay, got it. So she helped um, connect us with a realtor who helped us find our home and then connected us with an education specialist who could then schedule our interviews and tours with the different schools in the area. She's like a, like a concierge, kind of. Yeah. We'll find out the actual name of what she is. I think of what the actual term is. I'll put it in the show notes. She helped us get a lot of the logistical things in order. So we were able to do a lot of that via phone, via email, via Skype. And then Tom and I took like a five-day quick trip over to sign paperwork like a few months before our family moved over. Okay, number three. Number three, I would say living and experiencing another culture is truly a gift. To be able to immerse yourself within another country and another culture and live among people of a different, entirely different lifestyle is such a gift. And with that, we gain such a deep respect and a love for the Dutch culture. The Dutch are amazing people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Amazing. But, you know, we jumped right in. We got our bikes, and we rode bikes everywhere. We did not have a car for the entire time that we were there. I did not miss it one bit. I didn't miss traffic, sitting in traffic. I didn't miss any of that. So we loved it. You weren't scared you were going to get hit by a car, because I've been to Amsterdam multiple times. Before we visited you, I'd been to Amsterdam a few times, and never had I been on a bike, and... I thought I was going to die multiple times. <laughs> I understand like, why. It's very intense there, it's the bike very, culture. very, intense. So, so you know when I said Dutch are lovely people, they are the most welcoming, just so nice and authentic. And I'm generalizing, but in our experience, that is absolutely our, our takeaway. But you get on that bike lane and they turn into a whole other. <laughs> it is scary. It is very scary because <laughs> they go so fast and they ring the bell they ring the bell well we became that (laughs) we became those people we were like tourists get out of the way but i think it's because there's been such a surge in tourism and even a surge a surge in expats but expats quickly acclimate to all of 
all of the hustle and bustle of the bike lanes. But tourists that come, I think there have been so many that they, they've taken over the city and it becomes disruptive to their daily lives. It's sort of like a driver in LA who doesn't know how to drive on the 405. You get very frustrated. Oh, honk all day. Right? So that's what it is. That's equivalent to that. They are trying to get to work. They are trying to go to the store. They are trying to get to their workout or to whatever it is. And meanwhile, you've got a tourist who is just meandering left and right through the bike lane. It is not good. It doesn't. It's not pretty. I mean, they will curse you in a way (laughs) that is not just, you know, like F you. It's like may your family die of cancer and <laughs> it's intense so did they it's did you intense. put your girls on a bike and slap them in the bike lane and be like we're europeans now 100% we did and oh my goodness now that we've seen them do that we know they can do anything but i will say for the first month every time we got back to our house with our bikes and locked up our bikes i thanked the lord oh my god amen thank you so much we are all safe Everyone made it home. No one has broken bones because it was that intense out there. Okay, this is not exactly equivalent, but I feel like that this is now a good time to tell you that my mom taught me how to drive a car by taking me to the Oklahoma Walmart parking lot. (laughs) I'm not joking. In her Oldsmobile. This is real life. And she was basically like, if you can drive in the Walmart parking lot on a Saturday, girl, you are good. That's how I felt. I think that's how we felt. Same, same, you guys. Same, same. I mean, I think that's a beautiful part of living in a place that requires you to be attentive. Mm -hmm. We no longer could walk being on our phones and the girls couldn't just sit there and, you know, days off and walk without thinking that anybody, I mean, people were, they would get hit. They were going to get absolutely nailed if they didn't pay attention. And so... Immediately, we learned mindfulness. (laughs) Okay, so this is a bonus. That's a bonus. But yeah, I mean, just there's so many things. The open air markets there. Every day, you can go to an open air market and get your fresh fruit and vegetables and your fresh flowers. I could go on and on about the flowers. The flowers there on every corner, literally. This is not a myth. It really exists. You fill your house with the most beautiful flowers all the time there. I love it. Are we on to number three? Have we already done three? No, this is the the bike riding, the fresh food. That was number three? The shopping, the open air markets, uh, the term going Dutch. Did you know that's really a thing? Going Dutch. I thought going Dutch meant um, when you split the bill. Mm -hmm. You know why? Why? It's because the Dutch are very fair, equal people. I am very fair and equal. That's how the Dutch are. (laughs) And so that's what that phrase means? That's what that phrase means. It's a true thing. It's a real, real thing. The Dutch are the most fair and equal culture. I mean, from the service sector to education to medical care, they are all about equality for everyone. It's amazing. I would say the Dutch would also say that they are rude. But they're not. They're just so straightforward that you know exactly what is going on in their minds. And it's actually really beautiful. With sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. 
Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating and yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. Lumi is the first of its kind in the full body deodorant world and is seriously safe to use on any and every part of your body. It was created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how regular body odor was being misdiagnosed and mistreated. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben free. It is also pH balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of fresh scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code U at lumideodorant.com. That equates to 40% off your starter pack when you visit Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant, D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T, com and use code U, Y-O-U. I know so many of us are starting to care a lot more about the ingredients and the principles behind our skincare and our makeup, and Thrive Cosmetics is both vegan and cruelty-free using clinically proven high-performance formulas without parabens or sulfates. Thrive Cosmetics sent me a few samples. I swear to you that their mascara had me looking like I had lash extensions. It really did. But Thrive Cosmetics doesn't just have incredible makeup formulas. Their skincare is also amazing and effective. Their Bright Balance 3-in-1 Cleanser is a gentle formula that removes long-wearing, waterproof makeup and leaves your skin feeling soft, glowing, and never stripped or dry. Here is a big bonus to this brand. Thrive Cosmetics has a mission that is bigger than beauty. For every product purchased, Thrive Cosmetics helps women in need thrive by donating funds or products. Their causes include women emerging from homelessness, surviving domestic abuse, and women fighting cancer. I absolutely love this. Start thriving and help women in need today by going to thrivecosmetics.com slash you and use code you for 15% off your first purchase. It's cause with the C-A-U-S-E medics. So that's thrive, C-A-U-S-E medics.com slash you, Y-O-U, code you, Y-O-U for 15% off. Thrivecosmetics.com slash you, code you. Number four. Okay. So when we decided to move abroad, this was something very unique and exciting. I felt like sort of an anomaly amongst our community of friends and family. But when we got to Amsterdam and the kids attended the international school, we became friends with some people and they would invite us over to eat with other families. And what we learned was we weren't that exciting and it wasn't that unique that there are families that actually do this their entire lives. Some kids had already lived in four different countries. I mean, we're talking by the age of nine. They've lived all over the world. North Korea, Malaysia, South Africa. <laughs> like what's allowing them to do that? They can live anywhere or is it their job that's taking no, them it's anywhere? it's mostly their job. Right. It's, it's 99% people's work. So what you're saying is nobody was impressed by you guys? At all. Mm-mm. We were so impressive <laughs> here. Leaving here, but, you know, everyone was like, you're so brave. That's, you know, it takes such courage. Wow, this is so fantastic. And we got there and we were like, oh, this is our first move abroad. <laughs> 
it didn't take away from our experience at all, but it just made me understand that, wow, this is actually how some people really, truly live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Were those Americans that lived that way generally, or were they global citizens? <laughs> I would say global, but many, many Americans. Many Americans. I mean, the international school was probably 50% Americans. It was filled with like 50% Americans and then 50% from all over the world. I mean, any country, you name it. What's the benefit to, or why did you guys choose the international school versus like the equivalent of a Dutch public school? Are they they mainly speaking Dutch? And so that would be very hard for the girls. And then international school speaks English. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we could have sent them to the British school too. They speak English, but it was just, I think, a little bit more rigid and... The British school is more rigid? Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot more traditional curriculum. So we chose the international school. And we were, I would say we were really lucky to get in. I guess there are wait lists that go on and on for the international school because there are so many expats that move there. But And from what I understand, because I have other friends that have done this and, you know, just passing general knowledge, major cities often have an international school like this, right? For Yes. American expats, or at least for English-speaking expats. In fact, in Los Angeles, we have an international school. We don't know about it, but yeah, there's international schools. Well, who is that attracting? Europeans, I guess? Europeans, people from China, people from, I mean, all around the world. Is it primarily English-speaking? And it is English-speaking, so it's not as, it's almost like they could just go ahead and send their child to a public school, but the difference is, is that you would have language support, and... There's just a different curriculum. If you went to an international school, the curriculum would stay the same throughout all the different international schools. And did you find it to roughly match our Los Angeles private school curriculum in terms of like your girls were in third and fifth grade? Were they learning around the same type of things? Like, I don't know what that would be math wise and reading? I think the difference was, you know, remember that you have kids coming from, I mean, 50 different countries, different languages. So the baseline, therefore, is very different for every child that comes in. So what I found is that they focus less on content and the teaching was more on process. What does that mean? It's like when they were teaching math, it, it wasn't necessarily such a focus on all the different techniques on doing math. It was more like, how do you approach this math problem? What are the different ways that you can go to solve this one math problem? And they would have kids grouped. I mean, there were different days for this, but they would have kids grouped in different languages from different from the same countries together or from the same language together working on the same math problem. And then they would come together as a whole group and discuss how everybody came about solving this one problem. And so it was sort of like, it's like a life lesson. It's a life lesson. What? Yes, it is absolutely a life lesson. And if this is how all of our, if our kids studied or sort of learned this way of thinking from kindergarten through 12, like they would be so prepared for life, really. Because I think that in the United States anyway, or, or here in LA, it is all about content. I mean, you know, we go to a school that does focus on, on process, but it is a lot about content. But in the end, don't you feel like, really, do you remember what you learned in seventh grade math? (laughs) No, but I think there are markers that we all just sort of generally accept as 
um, you're progressing along in your education. Like, okay, you can read eventually, you can add eventually, you can, you know, and then a, a more advanced, you can multiply or you can do geometry or whatever. Like as the years go on, are they having that same sort of markers? Like, is it always a life lesson? It's, it's, yes. I mean, Yes and no. I mean, I would say there is some, there is content, at least the basic content that they're going to have to know. But a lot of their learning was very project based. It was things that they would research on their own and come together collectively to like explain to each other. It was how to work in groups. It was a lot of field trips. It was. Did your girls like this? Real life learning. They did. They did. It was very different from the kind of learning that they had done, but they did. All right, number five. Life is simpler and slower in Europe. I think we all know this, right? But I really got to live it. I want you to tell me about it because I am unsure when I travel, and I don't even mean necessarily to Europe. Sometimes this is true when I travel within the U.S. It's very hard when you're not living there, when you're not like an actual citizen, to know if it's simpler because you are simplified with your suitcase in and a hotel, you're on vacation, you're on vacation right. and there's less to do or think about or whatever, versus if you were living there, I always ask myself this actually, when I travel, like, would it feel like this? If I lived here versus visiting here? I don't know. So you tell me, well, I would say that the adjustment takes a moment, right? Like, I would say, In the beginning, I had a huge love-hate relationship with how difficult it was to get things done the way I'm used to getting them done. Like I'm used to being able to find the things that I need to find or I'm used to being able to shop at the market for a week, you know, that kind of thing. It's all an adjustment trying to figure out how to live daily life again. That part's complicated. And so I kind of hated that. I think that was part of my number one, too, that I, I didn't totally get into. But the transition part, the, the reality versus the idea of moving abroad, that settling in moment, it took us about three months to, for me to figure out how to use the microwave and the stove and the laundry and figuring out what markets to go to for what things. Because, mind you, the markets are much smaller and you do have a meat market like a like a butcher, a local butcher that you would go to, you would have the bakery, you would have a general market, but then you would also have the fish market. And, you know, learning all of that was difficult and adjusting to that is different from what we're used to, where you can kind of have a one-stop shop for everything. But then you learn to really appreciate it and embrace it and... You learn to go to the market literally every day because your fridge is about, I don't know, (laughs) a tiny little box. But how do people do that if they're working full time? How do they go to the grocery store every day? Because there is a grocery store within every block. So it's really easy to pop in and out on a bike. You know, you park your bike real quick, you pop in for a jar of tomato sauce, and then you get on your bike and you go home. It takes you five minutes to jump in and jump out. And so that takes a moment to get used to. But once you're used to it, you just realize you don't actually have to plan ahead. You literally can live in the moment. That's that simpler sort of slower life. 
But how is it simpler in terms of, I mean, Los Angeles is its own beast, right? We have traffic, we have 10 million people or whatever our population is like, but I live in other parts of the country and have lived in other parts of the country part of the year. So I guess what I'm asking about the simpler thing is, I mean, Amsterdam has the same distractions of life that we all have. It has the internet. It has like, you know, you still have to do the stuff of life, sign homework slips and clean your bathroom and like, you know, like things. And so it's not that I don't believe you or hear you because people say this universally that it's simpler over there. But I guess I'm trying to understand like, but what is simpler? I think the focus is different. I found very quickly when I returned that my focus went to what I needed to buy or what I needed to get at the store. And I was constantly trying to get all the things that I needed for us to be comfortable or what we needed from the... Is it a plan ahead thing versus a live in the moment thing? Or is it they have less stuff? They have less square feet? They have less... Like, I don't... I'm actually genuinely trying to understand what is simpler. So I will say this. When we first got there, we were very, very frustrated with how hard it was to find things we needed to find, right? You don't have... Amazon at your fingertips. I mean, eventually I found that I could go through Amazon Germany, but it's still not the same as the Amazon you have here. And so my point is, is that you couldn't just go into a Target and find everything that you needed. Like, so it was very frustrating initially to try and settle in and like get uh, the shampoo that you'd want or the trash cans that you needed for your house or even rugs, right? Like it just little, like from the biggest to the smallest things, Things were hard to find and get because you had to go to 10 different stores and the store maybe had it or they ran out. And if they run out, doesn't mean that they'll get it the next day. Or you could go to that same exact store 10 blocks away and they may have it or they may not. And things became so difficult to find that you didn't have the options any longer. And so it was like once you found it, you thought, that's it. Great. (laughs) You don't choose color. You don't choose style even. You don't get to choose. You just get whatever's there. And sometimes when you have no choice, it makes life simpler, if that makes sense. It's kind of like when you go into the grocery store. When you go and you need bread. Actually, bread is the one thing that there is a plethora of options I found in Amsterdam. But say pasta. You're going to get the noodles or you get the shells, right? Like that might be the only two things that they have. So you choose, you get one of those. If you walk into a Ralph's, there is an entire aisle dedicated to the types of pasta that you could possibly get. And so when I say life is simpler, it's just that you are not overwhelmed by choice of things that, in my opinion, maybe don't matter because the shells are fine. Everyone is happy. (laughs) We got to eat that night. Like, it was fine. So I think the focus is just different. Having to make those choices on all the little things takes away your energy from focusing on all the bigger things, the more important things, in my opinion. And so when now you don't have to focus on that, now we were able to have time to read, have time to focus on where we were going to travel, take the dog for a walk in the park. 
I mean, that was another thing that I thought was inconvenient and annoying is that we don't have a yard. So we, and we, we did bring our dog Mochi. So initially I got annoyed that I would have to take her out three times a day to the park. And in the end, it became my most treasured time with myself, with the dog, to be able to go walk around that park every day, three times a day. I would sometimes listen to a podcast, maybe your podcast. <laughs> I would sometimes listen to an audiobook or call a friend, or sometimes I didn't do anything and I just listened to quietness and, you know, sort of looked around at all the trees. But it became something I looked forward to every day, even though in the, in the beginning it was another thing, another chore. But because I didn't have to decide between 10 pasta sauces and 30 yogurts, <laughs> you get what you get there. And that kind of was nice, if that makes sense. I don't know. No, I'm hearing you. I think, like, I'm sort of hearing you theoretically, but then I'm thinking about, do I want to walk Mochi in the park three times a day? And I don't. <laughs> And so I think it's like one of those things that you have to live through, like anything like parenthood where you're like, oh, it's like a joy to give your baby a bath. And before you have the baby, you're like, that does not feel joyful to me (laughs) until you're doing like, it just seems like I'm hearing you. I love hearing you talk about it. Also, some of these things feel like you have to almost experiencing them for yourself. That's true. To see the beauty in it. You do. And it takes time. And it wasn't always beautiful. Don't get me wrong. Like sometimes it was a dog pooping. Sometimes Tom and I would play rock, paper, scissors for who was going to take the dog out. But I'm saying in the end, it became, it became a moment of peace and enjoyment. And, but yes, it wasn't always. Yeah. Okay. No, I'm hearing it. This is all, it's very interesting because I think we're always looking, or a lot of times we're looking for ways to simplify our life. We're looking for ways to simplify meal planning. We're looking for ways to be have a more meaningful connection with others and whatever. And the ways that we think about simplifying are maybe not always the ways because of what you're describing on the surface seems like it would be more complicated, but you're saying like, it's not, it's the opposite of that. And so it's just, my mind right now is spinning on all the ways I want to change up some some things and some habits and whatever, like maybe I'm not thinking about them right because I don't know the other way. Right. That's true. It took us to live in that, to understand that now. Yes. Right? So in the moment, I won't lie, it was hard. It was difficult to adjust to. And it took about, I don't know, three, four months before... You could get used to sort of not finding exactly what you wanted to find and making do. But then in the end, you're like, oh, but we made do. Like, actually, that was just fine or we were just fine without it. And A, I think that gives you a deeper sense of appreciation when you are able to find whatever it is that you really wanted, right? So coming back here, I mean, we have access to everything, So we gained a deeper appreciation coming back here, being able to do that. But B, you also realize that you don't need all the things that you think you need. You don't need all the options you think you need. Right. Like, give me an example. For me, because I love cooking, it really has to do with food. You just really learn to go back to basics with food. We're very used to having every option of every item here. 
But when it comes down to it, if you have the very, very basics of the things that you need, you can come up with anything. You can make anything. Like an example is we couldn't find bagels. Our family loves a good bagel, (laughs) but we couldn't find bagels. And so in the end, the treat for us was making our own bagels. And we did, and they were amazing. And then we learned to appreciate a really good bagel. But then we learned that actually, you're fine. You can live without a bagel. But we are used to getting everything that we Mm -hmm. want. Do you know what I mean? Like just having access to all the things. I also think about the brain space that I waste on a daily basis with the dumbest. Like if I need a new trash can for the (laughs) kitchen, and I mean to tell you, I will research that dadgum trash can. Like I will research, I will care a lot about the style and how it fits in the room. And I will think about, you know, like touch versus no touch, steel versus plastic. I mean, all the things and all those things are available to me. So I really have to sort through what I deeply want and like all this craziness. Whereas if you just had one store that sold one trash can and it was like a white utilitarian trash can, that would be it. And it also would work fine. It would work fine. It would serve its same purpose. But here you do, you get analysis paralysis. Yes, about, but about everything. But about like the ri- most ridiculous things. I know. And we're always seeking, because there's so many options, you're always seeking like the perfect the thing. The perfect thing, yes. So I would tell you, when we came back here, I think it was, it took me a couple weeks before I could enter into a Target, which is, by the way, the one store that I was so dreading not having when we moved abroad. <laughs> I thought the last time I went into a Target before we left, I almost cried. I was like, what am I going to do without a Target? (laughs) And then it took a few weeks before I got into one when we returned. And when I did, my youngest daughter and I went into a Target and we spent three hours. Three hours. And we walked out with, I think it was shampoo, uh, some soap. I mean, it was basics, right? But we just couldn't decide on the things, on the most basic things. It took us for, we spent so much time down every single aisle picking out one thing. Mm. (laughs) And we were so exhausted by the end of that trip. Exhausted. That's interesting. I hear all of that because I feel like we live in that all the time, but we're so used to it. We don't even know why we are exhausted. That's right. Like we can say, I don't, I didn't do much today. I went to Target. I did, you know, you're like thinking I didn't do much today without realizing the toll that it does take on your brain and your psyche and your energy to be thinking and stimulated by all these things. Correct. We have access to excess. Yeah. And there's beauty in that. There is absolutely, like, we are completely grateful for having those options. But once you remove yourself from that and you come back in, once you come back in, you're like, wow, this is a lot. And it just feels noisy, you know? I get very easily overwhelmed when I walk into a Target now. I still love it. It still has everything that I would ever want and need (laughs) in life, but it's a lot. Okay, what's, are we on six? Seven? What are we on? Six. Okay, number six. Well, I was going to say about clothing. Oh, I want to hear about clothing. Living in Northern Europe and then traveling in Northern Europe, you learn very quickly that materials matter and that you dress functionally rather than fashionably. Not to say that you can't be fashionable, but that is definitely not your priority. So we just 
learned that specific certain materials and the way you layer matters. You know, it is cold in the Netherlands. <laughs> it's cold. I mean, it's not Minnesota cold. It's not, you know, but you are riding your bike and walking everywhere. So you are really living in the elements. Like you're not getting into a heated car. You are literally living in the weather, which is amazing because it is so beautiful, but it is cold. And so you're getting rained on and you're in the wind and your face is freezing off. So as Angelinos, we came over with suitcases. And by the way, I didn't even tell you, we only brought suitcases over with our clothes. We didn't ship anything over. We didn't, we just had our clothes. But as Angelinos, we came with suitcases full of cotton. And cotton is super cozy and really cute, but it does not keep you warm. And we learned that so quick. And we learned the value of wool (laughs) and polyester and how to layer that so you could stay warm. And I brought all my heels. I didn't wear one of them. (laughs) It's about sneakers and boots and big old coats Mm. and beanies and scarves. And the materials that you wear really make a difference in your entire life (laughs) and your happiness. (laughs) First of all, I'm allergic to wool. (gasps) You are? I could not live in a cold climate. Yeah. I break out. I get a rash. I get a rash on any part of my skin that touches wool. Okay. So that's one thing. Second thing, did you notice among women in general, did fashion matter less because of what you're describing or did like people put more care into their makeup because they couldn't care so much about their clothes like was there you know among women was it different the style thing I mean I would say Dutch women definitely have a style or maybe Europeans in general it's sort of like sort of cute on top and then it's always like sneakers right because you're walking and you're biking and for functionality reasons like you need good footwear but overall Really, you're literally every day, I think every day I just threw on a coat, a big, heavy coat and a scarf and a beanie. And you sort of wear the same big old coat and scarf and beanie for so many of the days, you know, that it really was less about how you looked and more about how you could function, like how you could actually stay warm. So even though people could be cute, I mean... I would like to think that my coat was cute, but I, by no means did I look at the mirror before I left because it, it that part didn't matter nearly as much to me but as was being it, comfortable. Like you have to be comfortable. But was it less of a talking point? Like I'm just thinking again, Los Angeles is sort of an exception in this way. I agree. But I also think that women in general, it's just a touch point of like, oh, you look cute today or like, oh, where'd you get that dress? Or I don't know, whatever. Often we start our interactions with either a compliment or a question or a, I mean, I hope I'm not too off base to think that a lot of women do this. I mean, it's just, it's sort of a, a connection point a lot of times. And, you know, do you feel like that that was eliminated from women friendships? (laughs) Yeah, I didn't find that to be a topic of conversation very often. In fact, it's almost the opposite. Again, I don't want to generalize the Dutch. I want to say this was my experience, but actually there's a downplay on your fashion and even the bikes that you ride or the shoes that you have 
It's a little bit poo-pooed upon if you're wearing designer anything or if you're trying to look a certain way or dress a certain way. Everyone is downplaying what they own, what they have, what they're going to wear. When we first got there, we decided we were going to do it the Dutch way and everyone said, just get a used bike. So we went and we looked and we got a used bike. And in the end, this is the one thing you're going to use every day in all sorts of weather, multiple times a day. This is the one thing you don't skimp on. In my opinion, do not get a used bike. You are riding that thing all day, every day. So in the end, we went and bought good, sturdy, solid, brand new bikes because I wasn't able to ride my used bike. And the comments that I got from some of our Dutch friends, by no means mean, but it was like, oh, so fancy your bike. (laughs) And you're almost shamed for dressing up or for showing off, you know, your, which we weren't showing off, but just for having a really nice new bike like that, that is really not valued in the same way that maybe it is here in LA. It was the opposite of a status symbol. the opposite, the complete opposite. Again, the focus is just different. Mm -hmm. Okay, number seven. Are we on number seven? So number seven, I really learned how much or how little can happen in a year. Like what? Like we traveled to 13 different countries in a year's time and moved. We moved our, we uplifted and moved our entire family and experienced something completely different from anything we've ever, ever experienced our entire lives and learned so much, Uh, met new people. The girls went to a different school. They met new friends. I mean, we did a lot in a year. I mean, that was our intention. But the fact that you can make that decision and want those things and then do something about it and to actually accomplish them in a year's time is pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. So 13 countries. You guys took like side trips and stuff because Amsterdam is such a hub. Yes. And that was part of why we did want to move to Amsterdam is because it's very easy to travel whether by train or plane. I mean, you can go two hours, three hours, and be anywhere in Europe. I mean, you could travel three hours to Iceland. Um, I think it was four hours, and we were in Morocco. We went to France and Belgium and Portugal, Italy, Spain. The girls learned to ski in Austria. Wow. Right? I mean, who gets to say that? That's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. And you did all that in a year. We did it all in a year. Meanwhile, did you feel like, truthfully not much changed here while you were gone that's what I felt like like you and I would touch base not as often as I'd like but every month or couple of months and I'd be like I I don't have anything to tell you like it's the same (laughs) I mean I think yeah I think that life can very much get into a routine where yeah not a whole lot changes by the way when I reflect on that I'm not reflecting on anyone's life here but even my own like if I thought about the year before Not much happened for us besides making the decision to move and selling our house. But then you go away for a year and the things that we were able to do and the perspective we were able to gain and how much we were able to learn, that was incredible. To think that in a year's time you can do that is, I mean... It is sort of a miracle that even if you never even... This doesn't have to do with moving abroad or not. We get to choose... How much happens in our year. Correct. And sometimes 
a quiet year is the biggest gift you can give yourself and just not do anything. But then, you know, you can't really complain that you didn't really do much this year. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like there's so much available to us at all times. Right. So just having that intention of whatever that year is supposed to be for you. Yeah. Right. But you can make it as big or as little as you want it to be. And so I think that that was something that I was able to really, really see Mm -hmm. being away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, again, not the same as being in Amsterdam where you can travel two hours to a different culture, but here in LA, you can travel two hours to the mountains or two hours to part of the coast and um, we don't do it. Like I say to Jeff all the time, like we do not take advantage of living just a few hours from something amazing. Sometimes you have to be reminded of like, oh, you know, this is available to you. Right. I mean, yeah, because we knew our time was limited, we did. We really seized the moment and made huge efforts to get those things done, right? And when you know you have a finite amount of time to do something, you really get on it. And you make it happen. Is now a good time to ask you, or maybe you're going to cover this in a second. Did you consider not coming back? I think we thought it was always a possibility. I mean, we sold our house. We didn't have anything that was fully tying us or making us come back. So there was the thought. But I think after six months, we knew we would reevaluate our situation and kind of really sit down and see where we were in all of this. And as beautiful as living in Europe was and as fun and as enriching as the traveling was, it also felt like a really extended holiday. And that does sound glamorous and amazing, but on the other hand... There was a lot of us that was ready to just sort of dig in again and plant our roots. So in that sense, because our community really is here in L.A., it was pretty easy for us to decide that we were coming back. So, yeah, there was the idea. And then we decided. (laughs) Not now. Yeah. It didn't make sense. Yeah. No, I get that. For our family. But, you know, when you're away, you really miss things about well when it comes down to it people like we missed our family and friends we miss the girls being with their grandparents on a regular basis or seeing them with their cousins and they miss their friends and we missed our friends and our family so you know the beautiful part of making the decision to come back even though it was so beautiful and lovely and nice and slow and simple there makes you that more grateful when you come back Mm mm-hmm Because we made that decision. This is what we want. And also one of the things we talked about when we visited you in the summer where you'd already made the decision. In fact, you were weeks away from coming home. But I remember us talking about if you have the luxury to choose where you live. And of course, a lot of people do not for money reasons or uh, work reasons or extended family reasons or, you know, whatever. There's a million reasons that you don't have the, the choice of where you live. But if you do have the choice of where you live... Sometimes you're forced to choose location or people. Right. And the people may not be where your ideal place to live is, but it's important to you to be with your people, your family, your friends, whatever. Or the location, you know, you might choose location for a different set of values. 
And we talked about it because you guys chose to come home to be with your people, Mm -hmm. your family, and your friends, and and the roots of your life. Uh, Jeff and I actually have chosen location. Like in the bigger picture of our life, we live away from our family. And that's not easy. And I don't say that flippantly or lightly. And, you know, Jeff and I both moved to California separately. We met here. We've now created a family here. And the reasons that we both came to California as young people are different than the reasons that we have now chosen to stay here. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not easy. It's hard, but it's all, we are also choosing this. Mm -hmm. And if you have the luxury of choice, you are choosing location or people often. It's a simplification, but I just thought about that conversation quite a bit since we've had it because like, I'm, I'm almost going to cry a little bit because it's hard. It's so hard. Okay. Number nine. Are we on nine? Eight. We're on eight. (laughs) What's eight? Moving to a place where you have no community, speaking of all of our community of friends and family, but when you move somewhere where you have really no one or nothing that you're committed to, you really get to choose those things intentionally. So it sort of goes back to like living with intention and... I know, but it seems hard. Like I... You get to choose, but also like you have to make the work of it. It's true. That's part of it, right? So, yes, I, you know, here I'm very involved in the kids' school, and we are a part of seven different organizations, and we have all of our friends and family. And so the commitments we had filled our calendars all year long, like very quickly. And when we got there, we had zero to do, (laughs) zero things we were committed to. And it's like this fresh beginning where you're like, okay, what do we want to fill our time with? And so while it was the four of us, it was also the four of us. <laughs> For weeks on end. For, I mean, months, right? But at the same time, I got to choose, like, well, am I going to volunteer at the school? How committed am I going to be within the school community? And for Tom, it was what organizations did he want to be a part of? Did he want to be a part of anything? And in the end, we chose very little we chose very intentionally, like I joined a book club and that became sort of But how did you find my it? people? Well, it was within the school community. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, they have a lot of gatherings at the international schools so that it does feel more like a community. There's different coffees. There's just so many different ways. You could join the environmental club, whatever it is. And so I attended a coffee or two and I met a few women and we ended up um, creating a book club, which I've always wanted to be a part of, and I can't believe I never had been in one until I got to Amsterdam, and it was amazing. And these women became my people. I mean, this was my very small community, and this was my commitment, and I loved it, right? And it's really nice to be able to pick and choose what you want to participate in. On the other hand, it's what you said. It's so fresh and so brand new that literally you are explain you are kind of reestablishing yourself. There's no history with these people, so they don't know who you are at all. So you are sort of having to you're constantly telling your story and sharing who you are. So was it a good exercise to have to distill yourself down to a few sound bites or distill your family's story? Like to just be like, I can, need to tell you in five sentences who we are, why we're here, and what we're like. <laughs> like, is that a good thing in a way? Almost like an elevator pitch of the family? Or is it like, 
I'm flattened by this. Yes and no. I mean, at first it's a little invigorating because you get to, I don't want to say we were reinventing ourselves, but we were, we were able to really discern for people what was most important to us and share that with them. But on the other hand, you're like, oh God, here we go again. You know, every time we were at a different outing, it was like, here we go. But on the flip side, you got to hear other people's stories. And that was pretty fascinating, getting to know other people, Mm -hmm. you know, but because you know you're not there for that long, you also don't get super invested. And so, I don't know, that's good and that's bad, right? Like, you get to hear a lot of different stories and you get to learn a lot about different people and, but at the same time, there's like not the same attachment. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's good and bad. I don't know if that's, yeah. I can see that. Good and bad. Okay, num- are we number nine? I think we're number nine. So I feel like number nine is the biggest one, one of the biggest ones for us. And it's when you physically pull yourself away from everything you know and everyone you know, 5,000 miles away, your relationships actually deepen. And so what I mean by that is between the four of us, right? So four of us move away and we are all that each other have for a long time. And so you are having every meal with them. You are waking up and just spending day in and day out, whether we're traveling, whether we're settling in, whether we're figuring out life, it's the four of us. And over the time that we had together, we became, I mean, granted, we annoyed each other (laughs) to no end many times, but we became so close because it became a norm that we were just together. And I feel like when we were here in LA, we're so busy. We are so overscheduled that we barely, barely saw each other. It was in the car that I would get to see the girls or get to talk to the girls. Tom and I were high-fiving in between, you know, this event and that event. And when we got there, it was like all things stopped and it was just us. And you get really close. We became each other's go-to. And Tom and I especially became so close and we were able to reconnect when we were there on a much deeper level than we ever got to in LA because he was so busy or I was busy momming it or, you know, just busy, busy life. And so it got really quiet there and we were able to just talk and have conversations and discussions and reflect But not only that, it was like we learned about our community that was here in L.A. And the people that came to visit us, the quality of time that you get to spend with those people became everything. It was quality over quantity of time. So like grandparents that came and spent, you know, a week with us or maybe even if it was only four days. But that amount of time that you had with them and the conversations you were able to have or just the small in-between moments, it was magic. We became so close in all the years that we've lived in LA and all the times that I got together with my mom, it never compared to the week that she would stay with us and the conversations that we would have there. I became so close to my mom while we were in Amsterdam. Was it because you didn't have as much on the agenda to do or was it because you were sort of out of your normal space and that allows you know for a different kind of connection like what was it I think it's both 
but also my mom. So speaking specifically with like the grandparents, you know, because you're born and raised here, I think you just take that time together for granted. And so a lot of times when you see them, it's at family gatherings or you're dropping off the kids to stay with them or they're popping over for a quick dinner, but it's kind of like chaotic and, you know, the hustle and bustle of the kids' schedules. And it's a very touch and go relationship. But yes, so then while we're in Amsterdam, because it was a very carved out amount of time to spend with the person that was there, you were able to actually sit and like have a cup of coffee and and just talk. I mean, I asked my mom questions that I never thought I could ask her before. And whether it was time or space or we were out of our elements, whatever it was, I feel like we had deeper conversations in those seven days than I ever had in my 40 years. Really? Yeah. And so that's with my mom. But then, you know, with friends that would come when you guys came. I mean, my most cherished times were just sitting around our dining room table, like after we had gone to dinner or whatever, and just sitting and talking and hanging out. And I don't know, it was something so special about that time that you have with people there away from Mm -hmm. all the things. I do love that time with people where there's not an agenda. Yeah. Agenda is the wrong word. Itinerary. But so, you know, I talk about family and spouse, you know, and how we became, so Tom and I became so close and our friends. But also I think because you're away from all that noise and life is slower and simpler, you also get a deeper relationship with yourself. You get to go in. You know, you're not expending, expending and like out, like you're not, this energy isn't going out anymore. Like, and finally you get to pause for a moment. You get to, you know, read a lot and write a lot and reflect a lot. And you just, it's so quiet that you actually get to reflect more and just go inward and figure out what, what it is that's important to you or, and that was really special. I mean, I found that Tom did that too. Like we all as a family got to really sit in the quiet. Mm -hmm. more so that was I feel like even that relationship really deepened Mm -hmm. I love that part number 10 that maybe this entire experience wasn't incredibly easy but it was worth everything it was worth it this whole thing I think that this experience was everything we wanted out of it and so so much more because I feel like we came back having learned a lot and having grown a lot and just being able to bring some of that back into our lives here, maybe the simplicity or at least perspective on what important things are to what, what the things are we want to focus on back here. I think that was worth it. What changed for you now that you're here? You know, I think that, um, especially living in LA, you, as you grow up, there's like this path that everyone feels. Maybe it's an expectation put on by others. Maybe it's an expectation you put on yourself to sort of live in this path and kind of move forward, right? And do the things. I don't know what that is. If that's from a young age, like going to school, going to college, getting a job, getting married, having your kids, blah, 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 blah. goes on and on. But having veered out of our path then and... You know, instead of buying that bigger home, we went off and we moved to Europe and we sort of uprooted everything that we knew for the kids, for ourselves. And you do this whole thing and you come back, you're like, oh, actually, 
that path doesn't need to be so straight and so narrow. And we don't have to be so rooted to feel safe and feel good. And so some of the things that you learn is that, you know, it's so cliche to say, but like home literally is where the heart is, right? Mm-hmm. The kids were feeling so unstable, like not, not having the home that they grew up in. And then what they learned is that actually anywhere we are, we were able to create such a safe, loving, fun place to be. When we came back, we didn't have a house to move into, so we lived with friends for two months. <laughs> we lived with friends. When I talk about relationships deepen, <laughs> relationships deepen, <laughs> and they are forever our family now, mm-hmm. right? We felt okay about doing that, and that is something that a year ago we would have never agreed to. But there was something about moving away that allowed us to sort of roll with the punches, mm-hmm. go with the flow, live literally in that moment. We came back not knowing where we were going to live, not knowing if we were going to find a house, if, you know. And so here we are where we lived with friends for a couple of months before we found a rental. We're in a rental now. I think we'll start looking for a house soon. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. But this kind of freedom of being able to just be in it and go with whatever life presents itself with at the moment... I think really comes from this year away of just not having sure such clarity on what's going to be next allows us to be right here and okay with it and not feeling this pressure or the stress of being fully rooted. So if you could go back in time, would you do it again? Absolutely. I mean, I would say everyone should do it. Yes, a thousand times over. Yes. I'm Laura Tremaine, and you've just listened to the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. You can find the show notes and subscribe to episode emails at 10thingstotellyou.com slash podcast. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 Things to Tell You. Remember, this is an interactive podcast. I have 10 things to tell you, and you have 10 things to tell. So take this topic to your journal or a friend or post on social media using the hashtag 10 Things to Tell You. These episodes are meant to bring connection with others and ourselves and spark better conversations. Thanks for listening. Now go share something.